A lot can happen in three years, like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at uh1.com. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is plush care. PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hello everyone, this is The Ruck from The Times and The Sunday Times and now it gets spicy. Week three of the Six Nations, two unbeaten teams left, the English are hungry, Scots are fuming, Irish are fizzing, Welsh are crossing fingers, French are puzzling and the Italians are head-scratching. Welcome back to the pod. Will Kelleher here as Alfie continues to sun himself overseas. Lucky boy. Um, we've had a weekend without any Six Nations action but plenty to talk about and plenty coming up. And so to do that, I've got some great guests with me today. Firstly, on my right in our pretty studio where we can see all sorts over London, is the baritone bard, the Times sports writer Elgin Alderman. How's it going, Elgin? Yes, very well. Thank you, uh, Will. How are you doing? I'm good. And we were talking before you came on about your recent trip, a non-rugby trip to Sarajevo. Can you tell us why you went over there? Yeah, every time I come on the ruck, I've been somewhere completely irrelevant to rugby, <laughs> by and large. Uh, last week, I was uh, delighted to spend four days in Sarajevo with Torval and Dean on the 40th anniversary of their Bolero gold medal. So that was a, that was a bit of fun. But it was also a very, also a very poignant trip as well, because of course, eight, eight years after the Olympics, it was a, a city under siege as a part of a terrible civil war. So there was so much history there, so much, so, so many interesting things, not just the, the sort of frivolity of Torval and Dean, but also the aftermath, the, the rebuilding of a, of a fabulous capital city as oh, well. Amazing trip. That must have been, was it freezing cold? Was it, was it ice skating weather or not quite? Not at all. There was some snow on the mountains in the distance, but even even you know, I walked the abandoned bobsleigh track, which oh, yeah. was very, a very calming experience as well. Based off, what, obviously, like I say, what it used to be thirty years ago, it's now just covered in graffiti. You can walk the entire length of it, but there was there was no snow around there. It was about. 12, 15 degrees some days we were there, so it was quite similar to the UK. The yeah, oh, well, there you go. Great little trip. Don't say We're in the Times radio studios actually recording this, so don't say we don't cover politics as well as rugby with Sarajevo and all that. Um, but we've also got two other guests on our pod, so I better introduce them. Um, Mark Palmer nearly walked all the way back from Bosnia, <laughs> or to Bosnia, after that TMO decision a couple of weeks back. Are you all right? Are you recovered and ready to go? Mark? Oh, Billy, yes. Calcutta Cup week always gets the, uh, the dander back up again, so yeah, we're, we're all good. Have you, have you been any sparkling places over the weekend, or are you taking the kids swimming or something a bit more mundane? I, I did take the kids swimming. I also ah, took my go. boy to, uh, we were in Manchester on Saturday uh, at Man City Chelsea, so I had a, a little uh, trip okay. to the, the World Cup EPL, which was, was good fun. Um, but uh, back, back on the tools today. Happy days. And yes, joining us as well, finally... Best or last, we'll say. Uh, former Ireland hooker turned everyone's favourite analyst and friend of the ruck, Bernard Jackman. How's it going, Bernard? Yeah, good, thanks, lads. I'm feeling very jealous. One, one of you is uh, 
at a Premiership soccer match. One's in Sarajevo. I was at a cattle mart um, on, on, on Saturday, but uh, we keep it real. One of us has to keep it real this week. What is that like? What 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 goes on in one of those? <laughs> uh, just farmers buying and selling cattle, really. But uh, my my dad's a cattle dealer, so uh, okay. no, it was good. It was good. Uh, I would have been there a lot when I was younger as a child, growing up, but. Uh, Rugby has taken me away. Our local mart is on a Saturday, a place called Carnew. So, um, thankfully, thankfully, I have a good excuse not to go most weeks. I'm usually at, at a at a professional game somewhere. Is it like is it like an auction or, or do you? Yeah, have someone doing... it's hot and heavy. Yeah, packed. Um, and uh, yeah, lots of um, falling out and, and uh, uh, arguments over who who, <laughs> who should be buying what. But um, the trade is good at the moment, so most people are happy. Yeah, well, I'm sure all of the people at Cattle Market were arguing about how to speed up rugby. Uh, that's our nice segue into some of the things we're going to talk about today, because that's an issue that's been had an amazing amount of engagement. So I just tweeted our graphic from a Sunday Times piece all about the time that was wasted in the England-Wales game and what maybe we could do to speed it all up. So we'll talk about that at some point in the pod. We've also got Bernard on to speak about loads in the Six Nations, obviously, Scotland-England, massive one, Ireland-Wales, France-Italy, loads to get through. And we'll also, later on in the pod, be joined by Caden Murley. The Harlequins wing has been picked in the England A-team to play Portugal on Sunday. And, yeah, we'll start, though, with a bit of rugby... Uh, that's happening on the field this weekend. Just a small matter of the Calcutta Cup clash coming at Murrayfield on Saturday. So the other side of this, we'll talk about that. Right, Marks, Scotland, England, Murrayfield. It's going to be a belter, isn't it? Are you looking forward to it? Absolutely. It's, been a, it's a fantastic fixture, has been since since literally the dawn of time in, in, in international rugby union. But um, Scotland came into it with that impressive recent record in the fixture going back to uh, Gregor Townsend's first Six Nations campaign in 2018. Finn Russell, masterclass, the, that pass et al. Um, uh, and, you know, the, and in that period, they've also finally ended their, their Twickenham hex. They've now won two, two in a row at Twickenham, so, as we like to point out having not won there since 1983 previously. So there's there's every reason for Scotland to, to feel confident. However, they're up against a, you know, an England team that even compared to probably last year's version at Twickenham is seems to be on a different trajectory, albeit you know not, not a linear path to greatness, but the, the, there's a pattern of progress there. Um, so I think it's all teed up for um, a, a fascinating, tight contest, you know, with Scotland... Um, also being powered by that uh, the, the memory of the, the finale against France. So the, the, I think there are a lot of contributing factors here. Yeah, I'm really looking forward to it. I, I enjoy coming up to Murrayfield, but I don't know, we were talking about it on the pod the other week, Mark, but felt that the, I don't know, the, the England-Wales week lacked a bit of spice or a bit of flavour maybe, but this one feels like it's going to come true and strong. Bernard, let's get your sort of informed and out, but outsider's perspective I suppose I'm the Englishman Mark's the Scotsman what's the Irishman thinking about the Calcutta Cup and where the balance of power lies in that yeah I think England are going to win and I know that's probably um... straight in there you go yeah, thanks no, for I, coming I, I, on the pod I, I, see you later <laughs> no, 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 but I think um, I think they'll try and squeeze Scotland I think if England try and continue to evolve their attacking game too drastically, they'll lose. Um, but I think how they played in the second half against Wales, um, I think that's the best route to, to win for for England. And I think Bortwick, while he understands he needs to evolve, I think, particularly away from home, um, he realised that beating Scotland, keeping the, the Grand Slam uh, chances alive, 
um, uh, staying unbeaten will will make him go back to being a little bit more pragmatic. And, and I think if they do that, they have the game to frustrate um, Scotland. And I just I just don't know where Scotland's head's going to be, to be honest. Um, mm. I, I feel so sorry for Gregor Townsend because there's been so many of those close games that have just fallen the wrong side. And it must be so hard to go back to the well and, and to, to try and frame it that it's going to be different this week. And that's, that's a challenge for him. Um, obviously, two World Cups, um, and they have had some some bright bright moments. But even even like they've beaten England and France, obviously, over in his tenure and, and 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 England a couple of times. But like the win against Wales, in terms of a result, it was an unbelievable result because it's the first time in twenty two years. But just by the nature of how they how they won, I don't think they got that real boost of self belief that you should get from winning a, a game that you haven't won for a long time and. And even at the end, like there's a chance, like when I look back at the two Scotland games, like both games finished with a Scotland player trying to put the ball down over the line. And both times, effectively, the first place it lands is on someone's foot um, or ankle. And that deprived them of a bonus point in, in Cardiff and deprived them of a win in, in, in Edinburgh. And, and you could say, well, that's how close we are. And for sure, they are very close. And they are a very good team. I think Scotland are, are very dangerous. But I just wonder mentally, you know, uh, if this uh, if this game becomes tight, which you would say on the balance of power will, I think it's more likely to fall in England's favour than Scotland's at the moment. That, that's just my opinion on it. So, so two stats on the tightness. Um, Russ Petty, everyone's favourite um, Twitter statistician, has said that England's average points scored against Scotland in the Six Nations at home, 34 points, and away, 17 points. Um, it's, it's always tight up at Edinburgh, isn't it, Mark? I mean... Do you, do you think that the, the the confidence that Scotland have grown over the years with their victories and mad draws against England will see them come through in a tight one, or or do you worry that England have got that experience that can, can shut down a game like they did against the Welsh? My biggest concern on that front would probably be the the fluctuations in Scotland's output, and that's you know not between games; it's actually within games, as we saw. You know, both second halves against um, Wales and France, the wheels came off spectacularly. Um, stopped playing any rugby second half against France. You know, of course, what the opposition are doing feeds into that, but Scotland kind of just seemed to lose lose their bearings completely. Um, and you know, truly, elite sides don't do that. They don't have a ten, fifteen, twenty minute spell where it just all goes wrong, and you can see three tries, and suddenly the whole, the whole, you know, nature of the contest has changed. So, I think that you know, to, to revert to the oldest cliche, they need an eighty minute performance, and, and that has proved beyond them, not just in this championship, but you know, in, in big fixtures previously. So, um, you would have concerns if if it got tight and went to the wire. Uh, equally, you know, last year a Twicken ended up being tight on the scoreboard and had and happened to be one late on with that with that wonder try. So, you know, they, they have done it. They've got they've got a body of evidence to suggest they can. So, um, but if there if there are those sort of wild variations in performance that we've seen so far, then it's not going to take them remotely near to to competing for this title. Yeah, well, England are going to have some changes, we think, because, well, firstly, definitely at nine, because Alex Mitchell, uh, as of Sunday night, was ruled out. Uh, He's picked up a knee injury, which sounds pretty nasty for him, might be out for a couple of months, which is a massive shame, um, because he's sort of been the coming man in the England squad in the last few months since the World Cup. So he's going to be out, so it's now a battle probably between Danny Kerr and Ben Spencer, whether they keep Kerr on the bench or promote Spencer straight to start will be interesting. He'd probably go for Kerr to start. But the other marquee names coming back, Manitou Lange, Ollie Lawrence, George Martin, Count, Luke Cowan-Dickey. So 
Power, 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 Elgin. That's that's quite a lot of ballast for England coming back in the team, isn't it? Absolutely. It'd be interesting to see whether it's it's Lawrence or Tuolangi that gets to know. I know Stuart Barnes, our friend, friend of the pod, friend of the Times, wrote a piece suggesting that perhaps Tuolangi's one-trick pony shtick might not be uh, the force for today and perhaps it's it's Lawrence that might be the man that leapfrogs him coming in. What do, what do you think, Will? Yeah, I, I think I, it, if Lawrence is fully fit, I think he, he I would like to see him have a proper go. Um, as Alex Lowe's spoken about on this pod a few times, that particularly with Bath, it seems like his positions were more being 13 and hitting those wider angles is causing more damage, whether if he's just chosen pick to run into traffic at 12 then that might not help but you think that'd be hard on Fraser Dingwall who's done nothing wrong really and if he was playing 13 it'd be hard on Henry Slade who's been kind of key to this defensive system that's flying out the line Bernard Manu Tuolangi's always been a bit of a sort of a hex for Ireland over the years hasn't he there was this mad stat that only changed a year or so ago that he'd never lost to Ireland but what's what's the Irish perspective or your wider perspective on the centres and Manu and that endless issue that we always come back to in England. Yeah, look, I think there's a huge respect for, for Manu in in um, in Ireland. Um, I actually think that Ollie Lawrence is probably more dangerous now. Um, I think he's been really good for for Bath. I think he can give you the gain line, but also he's got some more subtlety. Not, not that Manu hasn't, it's just Manu is at such, I suppose, a stop-start um, career over the last, the last couple of years. And he can come in and, and he can have big moments, but... Look, I think it changes England having either of those available. Um, I, I, I think that there were with the forward, forward outside him probably needs somebody who can just carry carry really hard. Um, and yeah, I, I think they'll be more dangerous for that. As you said, they, they they can bring back a lot of power this weekend. George Martin. Um, I think the big thing that was for me was really interesting and and had a big impact in the game was just their ability to bring on two really experienced props late um mm. in obviously Ellis Genge and, and Dan Cole and um and looking at Scotland, I thought that was you know obviously Ferguson had to play he played 80 minutes against against France and just at the end it just just a lot for a prop um to, to a tiny prop to go 80 minutes. So if England have a little bit more power um and which they will have and and have that bench particularly in the front row, I think that's that's an area that maybe Scotland um, will need to change it up, even if they don't have huge belief in in in, in the in the replacements. I don't I don't think he can go eighty minutes against against England as a as a as a, a Scottish prop. Well, interestingly enough, uh, WPNL uh, the nine hundred twelve year old tight head prop <laughs> made his own comeback from a neck issue there for Edinburgh, and there when it was yeah. every Friday night. So. I would assume he will come back in on the bench, which is a a big boost. Um, you know, it, it, it's it, it says a lot about the Scottish development pathways that we're still relying on on somebody of that age. But he's performed incredibly well for Edinburgh this year, playing some of the best rugby of his life, actually. So um, I suspect he will get the nod over Elliot Miller Mills there. Um, and you know that that does change the picture because, as you say, it means that you're not then looking at you're looking at Xander emptying himself for sixty minutes or rather than eighty. So. Um, yeah, I think that will be that, that. That's definitely in the works. I love these weeks. Week three is always great, isn't it? Because you've often got someone who's two from two, and if they go three from three, then you start dreaming of slams and stuff like that. And it's a bit. It feels like such a make or break weekend, doesn't it, Mark? For, for Scotland and England, like as we've said on the pod, England have beaten the teams they usually beat, and now it's the teams they usually lose to. Scotland desperate after that France defeat. Can they wrestle back another victory and keep the hoodoo over England? Like, 
it's just still great fun, isn't it? It goes either it way. And as you say, I think every weekend we've described this pivotal so far for Scotland. <laughs> it was going to all pivot on Cardiff, then on this France. This is the one. But, but it, it does actually this time because, you know, whereas now you'd, you'd like to be sitting here in a position of thinking that, you know, could Scotland actually be, be pushing on towards uh, challenging for a slam? Obviously, that's gone now um, and potentially was never a realistic option to begin with. But, you know, the, if, if they win this weekend, there's still that, that, that chance to be going to Dublin on the final weekend, playing for at least a, a triple crown, which in, in itself would be, you know, substantial progress for mm. this team. So, um, yeah, it's, it's certainly from a Scottish point of view, it is kind of make a break territory for the campaign. Yeah, yeah. Well, look, we've, we've rattled through a bit there, but don't worry because there's more Calcutta Cup chat coming with a special podcast with two secret superb guests which is going to be out on Wednesday evening. So stay tuned for that. Uh, hopefully it's going to be a belter with two greats. Um, you may be able to guess who they might be, but they're... It's all going to be good fun. So loads more Calcutta Cup coming in the week. But why don't we rattle on, move on, and chat quickly about France, Italy, and then we'll get on to Ireland, Wales. Um, so Bernard, the French, well, we all saw them get demolished in Marseille that first week. Um, then just about right themselves against the Scots, as we know. Where do you see them at the moment? This World Cup hangover thing seems to be lasting, lingering longer, certainly, than it has for Ireland. Yeah, look, I think that that win against uh, Scotland, which they were very lucky to to get the win. I, I thought that they, I thought I could understand Scotland parking the bus to a certain extent, being sixteen ten up, you know, um, not wanting to get caught playing in their own half. But for France to be so lethargic in terms of trying to actually go and win that game um, really disappointed me. Uh, I thought it was a slightly better performance than the week before against Ireland, but. There still wasn't the same, um, I suppose, enthusiasm to to play uh, that that we've kind of seen over the last four years with France. Um, and to be fair, they're very pragmatic. But when when they get an opportunity off turnover, off counter attack, they have lit up, and that hasn't been evident really for me the first two weeks. Um, obviously, to get the try from Biabari, which is a brilliant individual try, and they're always capable of doing that. Um, like Sifiku, um, Aldri, etc. Have have incredible talent, but collectively they've gone back a long way. And and I, you know, the, the word in France is that that Fabian Galtier really hasn't got over the disappointment of that home uh, World Cup defeat. And he's such an interesting personality that he he actually can't hide it. You know what I mean? His <laughs> his uh, facial expressions, his body language, his demeanor um, tells the way he feels, and that's always been the case with Fabian. Fabian has been seen as being the most brightest gifted um tactician technician in in French rugby since he be, since he won a top 14 as a player coach with Stade Francais um but it's been his ability to deal with people um that has kind of held him back and you look at his experience in Montpellier his experience in Toulon he found it very frustrating working with players who who couldn't see the game the way he saw it but yes this French team obviously with the likes of uh, Intimac and Dupont and 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 uh, Penno etc. They were on the same wavelength as him. They they made the game look easy, but I think the biggest thing here is is that for five years he dedicated his his life to winning a home World Cup. Um, and obviously, look at they they went down and uh, um, they went down fighting. It was an amazing match against South Africa, but he hasn't been able to to deal with it. Um, but also more importantly. When you look at that coaching staff, so Bernard Laporte, obviously controversial figure, but 
he knew Fabian has known Fabian for 20 years. And when he put Fabian in place there, he put a team around him who could, um, I suppose, cover the cracks or or be strong in areas where Fabian is weak. So Rafael Ibanez, you know, a good friend of of um, uh, of Galtier, understands him and knows him really well. Obviously, um, decorated player, experience of coaching. And he looked after a lot of the media. He looked after a lot of the relationship with the director of sportives of the clubs. So Fabi didn't have to. He has now changed role. He's still involved, but he's apparently his relationship with Fabian is uh, is broken, um, or certainly not the same level of closeness that they had. And then Lauren Lebeat was doing the attack, and obviously vast experience with Cast Racing '92. He's gone to coach that front. A Karim Gazelle was doing the forwards, a kind of a, a, a softer type personality. So when you look at the the team of coaches and staff they had, they effectively balanced each other out. Whereas you know, uh, Laporte hasn't been there to make the replacements. Um, they're not of the same quality of the people that um, was there before them. Plus, you have this whole hangover of having lost the home World Cup. And I haven't coached in France. I mean, if you lose a home game in, in the top 14, um, it's like a it's like a morgue all week until you, until you get that back. So the idea of losing a home World Cup, where they went into it as one of the favourites, where they went into it with the the talent to to do it, the alignment, the cohesion, the clubs and, and union working together for the first time in a long time and then to fail, even though we know that sport, it just seems to have had a massive impact on them. And, uh, you know, they, 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 they are the type of team that a way win of any description could be the the medicine that they need and, and they may bounce back into stride. Um, and hopefully they do because I think, We've all loved having a strong French shark. Certainly, I, I felt it add to the competition. But until they back it up with a couple of more performances, I don't think we can affret, forget how poor they were in Marseille. Mm. Um, and for long periods of that game in Murrayfield, how they looked a, a pale imitation of, of the team that we've admired from afar. What was great to see in Murrayfield, at least, was, was just how many... France fans had made the trip over and did seem overwhelmingly positive. There, there were times based off the singing when you felt like you were in Paris rather than Edinburgh, which, which is great to see. And it's certainly a contrast to what the French media was like in the build-up to that match. If you read Midi Olympique, which is always great fun to do because every article is just a string of beautifully poetic metaphors and similes <laughs> normally. But the knives were were really out for the Bordeaux halfbacks, Lucu and Jalibert, and also for, for, for Gail Fiku, who, who was man of the match in Merrifield at the end. But Fiku and Dante, the knives were out for them as well. And it's just interesting to see those four players, both of whom are, are well-trodden partnerships, Lucu and Jalibert for Bordeaux, Fiku and Dante for for France, and yet they're not clicking, and therefore, you know, that, that's sort of symbolic of how the whole team wasn't clicking. You know, we, we've been talking about Lawrence and Tuolangi, these hard-carrying 12s. Obviously, Dante is probably the, the best in the world on form, and yet he, he, he's been nowhere for the, for the two games thus far. You look back at that Merrifield game, I mean, they just couldn't win a line-out, even with Cameron Wokey back in. When they did start winning a few li- attacking line-outs, they did set a platform for Louis Biel, BRA, to score that winning try. But just when they were going through phases, they just lacked they lacked the calm that you normally see. They just sort of didn't really know what they were doing. And they won in the end just because you know, they prevented Scotland from crossing the try line three times when they were camped on their line and, and being brave and, and staying in the battle and then just having those little moments of little moments of magic to get over. It's amazing how quickly it all turns around, isn't it? From well, this time last year and only a few months ago at the World Cup. But Mark, is you're a man that follows Italian rugby closely. 
would the Italians now therefore look at this and go, come on, this is our this is our shot? Even though they got nilled in Dublin, they probably could and should have beaten England. Or do you look at it the other way almost and go, oh God, the French are, are wounded and coming for us? I, I detect more of the latter. To be to be perfectly honest, I, I still think that they are you know looking at the the. the, the you know, the, the rounds four and five, home to Scotland, and then in, in Cardiff, where, of course, we had that, that famous success a couple of years ago. I think they are still seen as the, the opportunities or opportunity maybe in there. Um, whereas, you know, having said that, they, they got within five of uh, of France in Rome last year. Um, I do suspect it will be probably more like the last time that they, they, they met in, on French soil, which I think was a 27-30 point job in, in, in two years ago. So... Um, th- there's a picture slowly starting to emerge of, of what this Kazada Italy team uh, he intends them to look like. Um, he's gone back to basics a little bit in terms of playing a more territor- territorial game while still, you know, retaining that threat that they, they've had in, the, in their back three. Um, I, I, I think you know Negri and, and uh, Lorenzo Canoni are two massive misses in that back row. I think they've, they've taken a, a lot of the heart out of that the, the punch that they have in the back five of the scrum. So I, I suspect France will win the power battle and, and ultimately the war. So, yeah, I, I don't see anything, anything other than a, a home win. Yeah, just a quick last sort of news one, I suppose. Um, quite cool, interesting to see Lewis Liner um, turn up in the Italy squad, having just signed for Benetton um, next season. Great career opportunity for him to do that. He's got Italian mum. Um, everyone knows his dad, Michael Liner, um, obviously played in for Treviso back in the, in the early noughties, didn't he? That, that's quite fun, isn't it? I mean, it's a shame for Harlequins and, I don't know, I suppose the English system, even though he's got Aussie and Italian uh, mum and dad, that he's been lost to it. And it sounds like Quinns didn't really offer him a, a deal at mm. all. But that's an interesting story, isn't it, Mark? It is, and I think it, you know, an excellent pickup for Italy. Um, you know, it's an area of the team where they do have some good options already. You know, back three is relatively well stocked, but... You know, he has a real point of difference, Lewis Liner, and, you know, we've seen it consistently with, with Quinns, as you say. Um, I think he'll be a, a, a really strong kind of addition to that camp, but also to Benetton. I mean, they, you know, flying high in the URC, doing well in Europe, and now, you know, their summer summer additions have uh, have already looking strong with um, Matt, Matt Gallagher, Gallagher as well. Yeah. As well. Um, you know, and having been able to attract somebody like a dog who last summer, mm. they, they really are kind of laying down a marker, that, that, you know, that... that the federation as well backing them with resource to, to bring in those signings. So from both a national and club perspective, I think these are these are really positive moves. Yeah, absolutely. Okay, so that France, Italy in Paris. Uh, no, it's not in Paris. That, that's a that's a slip, Lille, isn't it? Man. It's in Lille. Lille. The, the Pierre Maroy, which we a few of us went to the World Cup. Yeah, so that's on Sunday. Um, but why don't we have a little break and next up we'll chat about Ireland, Wales, and then how we can stop the game taking so long. 
Go to quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Okay, well, why don't we turn our attention now to uh, Saturday's clash, the earlier game in Dublin, Ireland-Wales, Bernard. Is this, so, to talk to me about the, the, the sort of Celtic psyche here, because... For me, as someone who's got Irish ancestry but is English, I'm looking at this and going, Ireland are brilliant, they're going to smash everyone. But when you speak to Irish people about it, they're all still sort of like, no, no, come on, you've got to get past these teams each week. Where's the kind of like, I don't know, confidence levels for the whole back-to-back Grand Slam thing? Because it looks like it's on. Yeah, no, I think confidence levels are, are, are back. I think we were all going, we all went into that French game with a slight bit of trepidation because a lot of those individuals, as you've already mentioned, were brilliant for their clubs in the Champions Cup. And, and you know, we, Leinster, had a, had a good um, period going into the Six Nations, but some of the other provinces have struggled. But And then they go into camp with Farrell and it's like they've never been away. I mean, it's, it's, it's hard to believe how much he's loved by the players. Like, even the players were dropped and not selected don't give out, which is nearly unheard of. You know, um, everybody just wants to get into to, to the Irish camp and the environment he's created, both off the field and on the field, um, is exceptional. And yeah, and, and like they just want to be, they want to prove their resilience by not having a hangover after what was a massive blow for us um, to, to not get past the quarterfinal. And the way they've gone about their business in the first two games um, has been really impressive. Now, having said that, I think like... I, I met a, a, a one of the Italian coaches for a coffee um, the morning of the game, and, and he kind of said, "Look, we don't really see any weaknesses in this Irish team." And yes, like they had they had a plan for um, for all the other teams that were playing, you know, um, and obviously they had a plan for Ireland, but there, there was no obvious weakness. Now I'd say I'd say probably they didn't have the tools to maybe go after some of those, so they mightn't see it as obvious as as, as say England or or Scotland will. But um, Ireland are in a, a really good place. The only worry we have this weekend in terms of selection is is Hugo Keenan. Um, looks like he'll be out, which he's so important to Ireland, mm-hmm. uh, both sides of the ball, um, and he's nearly been an ever present. So again, who do we have to back him up? The, the guy that we would, the two guys that normally would come in there, Mac Hansen, who's played a bit at fullback for Connacht, and Jimmy O'Brien, um, who backs him up at Leinster, are both injured. So we may end up playing a ten there for all he. Kieran Frawley can play a bit of fullback as well. So that's obviously not great. Um, but then when you look at Wales' kicking game, it's probably not going to be tested out this week like it will be against against England. Um, and it's hard, to, it's hard to know where Wales are really at. Like I think Wales have been really brave in both games. Um, but when you actually break down what they've done, um, it, it's 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 more around just playing with like tempo and, and belief and, and running hard and which is all really important and there's nothing wrong with that but it's hard to see where they would really challenge Ireland because I think everyone's talking about Ireland's attack but I actually think our defence has stepped up since this mm. World Cup and it's a nice hybrid defence where 
you have what Simon Easterby was doing um, into the World Cup. And then you just got little signs of little influence from Jack Nina Barr, who's now the head coach in, in Leinster. And obviously the majority of the team play under him. And particularly their post-tackle work at the breakdown is a lot more aggressive. Um, and they're, they're starting to really slow down opposition ball. So, yeah, like normally Ireland playing Wales, everyone is is, is, is afraid. Um, but I think at the moment, if you realistically look at it, this is a total rebuild for Gatland. Um, and he's rebuilding it without what became generational player, who players who became generational players, the, the Ken Owens, the Alan Jones, the Sam Warburton's, the Tipperick's, etc. And maybe this group will have some of those, the Wainwrights, etc., become generational players, the David Jenkins. But it's hard to see it. It's you know, like at least they had some success at, at regional level. Um, you know, the Ospreys were were had won a couple of what's now the URC. Mm. You know, the, the regions have never been as poor, um, and the finances never been as bad. The off field issues in Welsh rugby. If Gatlin can turn this team into a, a championship contenders in the next two or three years. I think it'll be up there with his greatest achievements. Yeah, absolutely. So, Elgin, you're you're often our man covering Wales. So, what's the feeling over in Wales about the first two weeks? It's from the outside seems an odd one where the results haven't been there. But it's been close, and everyone's slightly more positive than they thought they might be, maybe because it's such a young team and everything. Definitely, I think I said on our preview podcast that generally, if the if Wales fans have a sense that it's a young team that are playing a bit of exciting rugby that you can wear a lot of defeats, especially if they're not too bad. And and as you say, they've lost two games by a combined margin of of three points thus far. So they've been so close to winning both of them. Especially at half-time in that first round against Scotland, everyone was thinking that the worst fears were possibly not even bad enough for how we'd, we'd seen the Six Nations going. But to come back in that second half with those four tries to almost win it did feel like uh, a spirit a more in, in the greatest basball sense say a moral victory it almost <laughs> felt like in the in the second half in cardiff and then to go so close again to winning at twickenham the, the, that time they did what their stated aim which was to come out of the blocks well and lead at half time which twickenham of all grounds was somewhere where they had never done that it was the recent history at twickenham was a, a long history of massaging the scoreline in the last five minutes to make it very close but so in that instance they couldn't quite hold on but the fact that there's been a 22 year old Johan lloyd at fly half alex mann who in international sense has, has come from nowhere to to look so good and play so well that there is quite a bit of positivity around even though they are for two and which means that they've won only I think two of their last 13 matches in the Six Nations now Wales and so going to Ireland where they haven't won in the Six Nations since 2012 there was a draw in 2016 but there hasn't been a a win at the Aviva since 2012 in the Six Nations against a team that really can just grind you down and and hammer you you do fear more for this one than than the previous two games but I think that, that slight positive positivity as well again the fears were so bad that there are some crumbs of comfort from the regional game in terms of Cardiff have had yet another sellout at the weekend which is always a great thing to see in rugby you don't expect, there was a lot of big talk about how they were getting sellout crowds for Anglo-Welsh games but they got it for a game against Connaught which, which is pretty mm. good and then yeah the Ospreys 
have won five in a row now and Dan Edwards, the, the young fly half, a drop goal to win against Ulster. So that was perhaps an omen for a Welsh team against an Irish team, but um, <laughs> I, I'm, I'm sure it won't be. But uh, <laughs> as long as that young team goes out again and plays with a, a sense of fun, a sense of enterprise and spirit, then to an certain to to a certain extent, the Welsh public will will wear another defeat. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Well, why don't we park our, our chat about Ireland Wales there and move on to a topic we've been looking into for the Times: how we can stop the game taking so long. So, if you've been on social media or if you've been reading your paper, you will have seen a detailed article that we asked all our writers on the Sunday Times to come up with ways of speeding up the game, and it included this amazing graphic. Um, which I, which you haven't seen, it's on my Twitter account, um, Will G. Kelleher, if you want to follow that. Um, so there's some staggering numbers in there. So the ball in play is actually pretty good and improving year on year, around the 35-minute mark in most games. But our analysis found that there were 18 minutes and 28 seconds in the England-Wales games waiting for scrums, 12 minutes and 36 seconds for injuries, drinks and substitutions, 10 minutes 56 for penalties and conversions. So nearly an hour watching the game well, there's no game. So we've had loads of suggestions in there um, from shot clocks for lineouts, tap penalties if a mall's turned over instead of a scrum, reducing the time kickers have to attempt at goal. Bernard, where do you stand on all this? And, and I think you're on a you're on a working group to kind of help try and sort some of this stuff out. What do you think? How yeah. can we make rugby great again? Look, and I, I think I think we need to have a uh, a massive focus on how we make it great again and, and look at that's on the back of a world cup we had some amazing games and the same rules you know so um i don't think it's it's, it's still possible to play to have an entertaining game uh, what cracks me up is uh, and i think this breaks it down in a way that maybe we haven't seen it before and actually realize where the time has been spent but like when i hear about the lack of atmospheric games um you know the, generally what i hear is more beer, less beer, no beer, right? Or more music, uh, less music, different music, no, um, no music, and that's it. And like you know, even um, Jamie George, who I think has been is brilliant, and, and you're talking about how they want to you know change up the, the atmosphere in Twickenham, and they pick the songs and a longer walk. The reality is, I think people will respond to what's happening between the four white lines, you know, yeah. and that's. I, I know we want to attract new fans, and and and, and the pre-match entertainment is important, but realistically, the reason we're all kind of feeling a little bit bad about the game at the moment is the quality of the, I'd say the six, six nations games so far have, has been actually pretty average. Um, mm. Now there's been drama. There's been drama end of Scotland, um, both matches actually. Um, uh, but, and, and the way the England Wales game was close, but it wasn't really a, a great spectacle. Um, I think the game is too complicated. Um, and even when you listen, I know, I know you've got some emails in with suggestions, but I like, so I'll give you an example of three people that are currently very much involved in the game. So Matthew Reynal, the, the French referee, he feels we need less substitutions. Okay. Um, Pat Lamb, obviously vastly experienced coach. Uh, his suggestion was that you could make a mark outside your 22 and you have five seconds then to take a quick tap to, to stop the kicking. Right. And uh, if you don't take a quick tap after five seconds, it's a scrum. Uh, Alex Anderson, again, someone I respect massively, said the reason his teams kick the ball so much is they want to conserve energy for the big boys in their own 22 and the opposition 22. So he felt if you had rolling subs and more substitutions, he wouldn't have to save their energy and he could play more. So there's three <laughs> people involved in the game who have very different ideas. And so I'm on a working group with World Rugby and we're meeting just uh, in a couple of weeks' time 
with referees, current players, ex-players, coaches, pundits, to try and, I suppose, work out where we go from here. Uh, because I think we have the raw the raw material. But at the moment, you know, there's a lot of a lot of wastage and, you know, nearly 20 minutes waiting for scrums in that game is a huge amount. And I love the scrum. I think the scrum should always be a power in the yeah. game. Um, TMO review. So I, w- I would say just simply because I'm taking a lot of time is, is I think we need to make the try, no try decision much easier. And I, 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 I look at, I, I'm not saying we copy everything from other, other sports, but I think if Aussie rules, or sorry, Australian Rugby League um, and Rugby League in general isn't thriving, but in Australia it's thriving. And one of the things I, I like about that is how quickly they make a decision about a try and how they're nearly trying to find a reason not to award us. And again, that's just something simple. But like the, the four-minute end game in Murrayfield, um, it does nothing uh, for, for the game. Um, and there's there's something that I think, certainly from, from my point of view, we could make easier for TMOs and referees. And also, like there's a disconnect between what referees and TMOs see as being the right decision and the disciplinary committee that happens the week after. And I know speaking to some some referees and TMOs that they're making these decisions without any real belief that they're right. And also, mm. I'm lucky enough to to commentate on a co on a game every weekend. Like I'm seeing things, and, and I, I've no idea what the right decision is. Uh, and that's like that sounds. Uh, maybe it's, I'm not very bright, but I'm not sure how it's going to be backed up the, the following week at disciplinary hearing, you know, and that's not helping. Like these these men and women are under massive pressure, you know, the scrutiny um, that the TMO was under and, and Nick Berry in the last four minutes against in Murrayfield, it must have been horrendous. And yes, they don't, I don't think they have the, the, the rules or the, or, or the, um, uh, the communication or, or whatever around them, the interpretations around them to be able to make the right decision. And that's something that has to change. Yeah, yeah. A game confused, Elgin. Oh, give us some of your ideas. What what can we do? Uh, before we go any further, I just wanted to add some some figures, so put some meat on the bone, because I know that listeners perhaps, you know, you often hear people say, oh, there was so much more excitement in the 70s and 80s and much less kickings. But there are some some context numbers around that they just mm. wanted to bring in. So I think we said we saw there that the ball in play for Wales or England was, was 36 minutes, which is quite high. The, the average ball in play at the 1980s 87 Rugby World Cup was 28 minutes 11 seconds and that went down to 25 minutes 45 seconds in 1995. Around 40 minutes it is really high in the modern game and there were three matches at the Rugby World Cup just played where where it was above 40 minutes. They all involved New Zealand, the highest being New Zealand-Argentina which had 43 minutes 15 seconds. New Zealand were also involved in the game that had the lowest ball in play time which was against Namibia which was 27 minutes. So the lowest ball in play time at the recent World Cup was almost two minutes higher than the average at the 95 yeah, World yeah. Cup. So that, so those are just some of the figures we're dealing with. There are now far fewer scrums and lineouts. I think it was 77 in the 87 World Cup. It's around half of that now. Um, average phases per possession have gone up from from 1.4 to to around three. So that's doubled. So teams you know keep the ball for slightly longer every time they have it than they used to. But I think... One of the things that informs one of my suggestions is that 5% of box kicks, oh, sorry, 5% of kicks in a game at the 87 World Cup were box kicks. At 2019, that was 23%. So mm. the number of box kicks as a percentage of kicks in a game has gone up massively. And I think the, the caterpillar ruck is something that 
irks just about every yeah. rugby fan and has for several years, and yet sort of nothing's really been done uh, uh, about it. There's loads of easy wins in all this, aren't there? Like, they could definitely call the use it thing earlier while it's going down the caterpillar, or actually enforce it. Like, I've, I think I've seen it twice or three times ever. There was one actually Antoine Dupont got done in the first minute of the Harlequins game in the Champions Cup, but they can enforce that. Lots of these are little wins, aren't they? Mark, what was your suggestion in the in the Sunday Times? Well, writing it in a still incredibly bitter frame of mind, <laughs> I'd, I'd kind of gone down the, the TMO route that, that, that Bernard was talking you about. You shocked there. me, Mark. <laughs> exactly, but, but just in terms of, you know, because as, um, as Bernard said, you know, the, the, the pressure and scrutiny on these individuals is, is not inconsiderable. And, um, you know, they were reminded before the Six Nations that they must stick to the protocol as exists, i.e. in a situation like that, you must identify conclusive evidence. So, you know, because people were saying, oh, you know, common sense shows that it must be on the ground, it's a try it, but they're not actually allowed, in inverted commas, to make that call for themselves mm. unless the evidence exists. So, I mean, I would be tempted to go, you know, to, to reword or to reposition that protocol where, you know, almost... Forcing an in inverted commas the on-field decision, the on-field referee to make a to make a call unless there are you know you can only reach the correct decision or a decision by recourse to pictures, or um or where it's where it's clear and obvious that you know that an egregious error has been made. Um, so putting the, shifting the emphasis in that relationship between the referee and TMO back towards the referee, I think would speed things up considerably, or or certainly have the potential to do so. Yeah, yeah. Well, I tell you what, we asked some of our listeners to email in some queries, and the email is theruckatthetimes.co.uk if you want to email in future. So here's a couple. So Charlie B, uh, he reckons there should be an option to have fewer people in each scrum. I'm not sure quite how that would speed up the game, but a three or five or an eight-man scrum. What do you reckon to that, Elgin? Uh, possibly a bit too confusing. It takes me back... To, well, I say it takes me back. I wasn't alive then, but it's sort of the <laughs> late 19th century when I think teams had different formations in the second row, didn't yeah, they? Okay. And uh, they had sort of two, three, two, or or, or whatever the formations were. But, uh, well, it's certainly an interesting one, but it, it would... Well, and, it would perhaps alter how how the size of forwards if, if teams went in knowing that they were only ever going to have a three man scrum. But then, of course, the 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 team or you're playing against always go for an eight man scrum. Then suddenly you'll have you know Johnny May on the flank again, which yeah. everyone very much enjoyed seeing. Yeah, but. yeah. Another one from Stephen Godfrey. Um, he has, which is kind of similar to something I borrowed a borrowed idea that I've had for years from Austin Healy. I think mentioned it in commentary once years ago. Of every time there's essentially a, an infringement, um, the the clock goes off and it only restarts when either the kick is taken to touch or kicked at goal or set at the scrum or something like that. Do you think that would improve some of the time we waste, Bernard? Yeah, look, it would. But honestly, I just think at the moment. Um, teams are afraid to play. I, I, I think there's enough ball and playtime. I, I don't see an issue with that. I just think we need to clarify um, some of the some of the ruling and protect referees. Have players have more faith in referees, and the reason teams are kicking the ball so much is is fear of getting penalised um, at, at the breakdown and the consequence of that and momentum sh- shifting. So I, I, I'm I'm really looking forward to this discussion. Look, it's not going to be easy. Um, but I, I believe massively in Phil Davies, who's the former Welsh number mm-hmm. eight, who's who 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 believes in talking about things, and, and and they know that they there's room for improvement there. But I think it's um, it's not going to be too radical. It's probably just doing like the reality is the law. You're 100 percent right. Use it or lose it at the back of a of a uh, of a caterpillar. 
like re- scrum house taking another four or five seconds after they've been told to use it. You know what I mean? So like there's little things that we could win quickly uh, and players will adapt. Players will adapt. The coaching at the breakdown drives me mad, you know, hands off. Um, it's a rook. Uh, and again, people would say, do you want 15 penalties against your team? I'm telling you, players and coaches will adapt within two weeks. Um, but at the moment they, they scout the referees. They know how much leeway they can have. And you can slow that ball down without giving away a penalty more often than not. So I actually don't think we have to think about it. If we go down to three or four men scrums, I'm 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 uh, I'm going to go to a different sport. But um, <laughs> I, I think the scrum is really important. But again, you know, um, it may be a little little bit of out the box thinking uh, combined with logical focus on what we're doing now and how we can just make it better. Yeah, I think what we're trying to say is that rugby isn't all bad. As Elgin has, has, has nicely detailed there, there's, there's been a, a massive improvement in ball and play and everything over the years, but it's just constructively trying to find ways to stop wasting everyone's time, isn't it, essentially? I think what irks fans, certainly irks me most about things like the Caterpillar Rack is that you just have that five seconds where everyone knows what's going to happen and it's yeah. too easy to yeah. box kick. I think what people like about rugby is the sense that you don't know what the player's going to do it's all a bit a bit of chaos so the fact that you go through i don't know 10 15 20 situations a game where the defend the defensive line have already started retreating back to take a kick you know there's not going to be a charge down it's just that sense that those bits are a bit too organized a bit too much like set pieces what people like is oh, i don't exactly know what they're going to do here it's a bit a bit of chaos yeah of fun. yeah okay well we better move on we better let Bernard nip off and do much more important stuff. But if you if you want to hear about more or read about more of the how to speed up the game, then go and get your Sunday Times. Find it online. Find it on the website uh, via our Twitter accounts and all that. But thanks for, to Bernard for coming on. We'll be back after this with God or Goddess of the Week and everything else. But for now, cheers, Bernard. Thank you very much. Enjoy your weekend. Where are you heading? Um, Aviva Saturday, and then I'm doing studio for France, Italy. So good weekend. Lovely stuff. Awesome to have you back on the run. Great to chat to Bernard Jackman as ever there. Awesome insight from from him. So next, we'll finish the show with God or Goddess of the Week. But first, as we trail at the top, here's an interview with Caden Murley, who's in the squad for the reincarnated England A team who are playing Portugal on Sunday. Okay, so delighted to have Harlequins, a newly selected England A wing. Caden Murley on the ruck. Caden, how's it going? Yeah, all good, thank you, mate. Not too bad at all. Uh, how's life? You've had a you've had a bit of an annoying season, haven't you, with with injuries and stuff? But you must be just really pleased to be back in and, and picked for this A game. Yeah, it's been a frustrating start to the season, to be honest. Um, haven't played as much, many games as I'd like I'd like to have done, but um, yeah, excited for this this challenge in this next week and get back to playing some rugby. Yeah. So so take us through your season so far, if it's not too harrowing, like. You've had troubles with your knee, basically. Is it just been your knee, or has there been other stuff going no, on? No, so yeah, first Prem Cup game of the season. Um, did tore my MCL out for about six weeks. There came back, played five games, I think it was, and then um, against Toulouse, I did my ankle. So I did a few of the ligaments in my ankle, tore them. And then another about six weeks, and then I got back to being on the bench against Leicester, and then the Six Nations came. So there hasn't been many games since. So yeah, yeah. I've struggled for for game time for sure. That's a funny one, isn't it? For like for years, we've all been saying like, "Oh, it'd be better if there, there weren't overlaps between club and country." Mm-hmm. But for someone like you, you're probably desperate to have had a game, but it's all no, paused exactly. for you. <laughs> yeah, it's been a been a bit of a weird time, but it's been nice to 
it means I can focus on these little injuries and get get these little niggles right and um, yeah, fly into this second half of the season. Yeah, absolutely. So, are you now an expert in recovery? Like, what, what's been <laughs> your plan to to get yourself back fit? Have you been like completing Netflix as well as all your rehab? Yeah, I definitely have been watching some a lot of series, um, but. Man, I've been big on my recovery. Uh, I've been, I've always been quite big on my recovery ever since I've been at, like first started going to England camps and saw how much some boys are doing, especially the likes of like Johnny May, who I'd say is probably the the epitome of recovery and rehab and everything and getting everything right for his body prehab before he goes out on the training pitch. So um, that's definitely made me look at it a different way and know that I have to get my body right for training sessions and stuff. Yeah. So, so take us through your routine. What what sort of stuff do you have to do pre and post to keep yourself right? So for me, every morning I'll do a little like fire up or activation in the mornings, mainly for my hips and and around in around my glutes because my hips get pretty stiff. I think that's pretty common for like the fast twitch athletes. Yeah, me and too. Then, yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and then I'll do all my sorts sorts of stuff in the gym, like a bit of resilience kind of work, and lots of isometric holds for like my tendons, and then around around my shoulders as well to keep them good and then before I go out on the pitch it's just all about um getting some patterning and going through all my kind of speed warm-ups we've got a speed coach here at Harlequins who gives you a, a program for yourself so um doing all of that before training and afterwards always finish with a little little ice bath a little sauna and a little stretch lovely it sounds like you, you almost train more as a kind of like a sprinter I mean obviously you do all the rugby stuff too, but is that the mindset for wingers these days is that you need to almost be like a sprinting athlete as well? Yeah, definitely. I mean, you look at those people who, or you look at the sprinters and they're, they're top of their top of their game. They have to be for that 10 seconds and everything is built up for that. So yeah, if we can follow in their footsteps steps and get our body right as well, then yeah, I guess it does kind of emulate that. Yeah, absolutely. So good news the other day, um, you got selected in this, this sort of revamped, a England A yeah. team um, that must have been cool what are you hoping to get out of this week take us through it like what's happening when are you linking up and all that uh, we're linking up tomorrow so that's Tuesday and then we're staying until the game on Sunday yeah I'm, I'm massively excited for it I mean look at the squad there's so many talented youngsters around in the Premiership at the moment and I've played with a few of them before England are 20s and I've been speaking to Sam Riley and Finn Baxter and from Quinns and they've played with quite a few of them and we're all massively excited for the challenge ahead then also getting a fresh kind of co- fresh coaches in. I've heard mm. unbelievable things about George Skivington, a great bloke, and Sam Vesty over at Northampton. I mean, they've been carving up all year. So to get a new voice and um, try and learn off them and bring some things into my game, maybe that I hadn't quite thought of, will be exciting as well. Yeah. So those guys you're linking back up with, because that's kind of the, one of the reasons why they're doing this, isn't it? To sort of bridge that gap between guys that leave the 20s yeah. too old for it and are not quite at the international test stage yet mm-hmm. so who, who are the group of lads that you played with that are, that are involved this time so my last England 20s game against Ireland the back three was actually me Ollie Slightholm and Josh Hodge who okay, are now nice. all in this squad so that was the last time I played with them we started as a back three together and we actually lost that game so let's hope it goes better this this time around <laughs> um who else was in there there's a there's a few other boys that I've heard like Jamie Shilcock, Nick David was good friends with at Worcester and says he's a great bloke. He's been in, this, in teams with, um, well, Harry Randall has now been called up. Um, Kaylin Englefield was in Quinn's Academy. Yeah, okay, yeah, yeah. Um, so he's yeah, doing well, nice Gloucester. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, so we're nice to link up back with him. So there's loads of boys in and around it. Yeah. And is it, oh, no, I suppose it's not, it's not something you've done before, but 
how easy or difficult is it to link up with a team on a Tuesday and, and put something on the field on a Sunday? It's kind of Barbars-esque, that, isn't it? Is it? Do you just have yeah. to keep it so simple and just go, let's let's enjoy it, have some fun and, and put some good stuff out there? Yeah, I think a lot of the emphasis will be on just getting to know each other this week. I mean, every club plays a slightly different way, but everyone can be pretty adaptable and I'm sure the moves will all be pretty similar to something we've run before. So I imagine they'll keep that fairly simple. And yeah, it'll just be about gelling as a squad, trying to find our feet as a squad and then hopefully putting our best performance out there against Portugal on Sunday. Yeah. Just look at some of the names you mentioned there that you've played with. But, and also, if you look between the A and the, and the main squad, there's there's a hell of a lot of good young wingers, including yourself at the moment, aren't there? Like, Do you kind of enjoy looking around the Prem and going, you've got great competition e- each week. Like you've got Hassel Collins in the in the squad, Will yeah. Muir's going to drop down, I think, Slighthome you mentioned, and then in the main one, Faye Wabosa, Daly, Freeman, Roebuck, there's a lot of talent out there at the moment, isn't there? No, yeah, there, there is definitely. And it's, yeah, it's exciting. I mean, every week you've got a challenge and you want to try and almost uh, do a number on your opposition, which ma- makes you more up for that game. So yeah, it's always good week in, week out in the Premiership. The standard's always been up there, but now especially it feels there's so much young English talent yeah, yeah. So, so, what do you think's your kind of point of difference? Then I know you've you've had a stop-start season, but where where do you want to get your game to in the next few weeks and months? Uh, I think mine's just got to be trying to um, get as many touches as I can on the ball to try and show what I can do. I think I'm very much more of a work off my wing kind of winger, get on the inside of tens, on the outside of nines kind of thing. So trying to trying to show that and get probably slightly different carries to some of the other boys who. Are, more like open spaces and that kind of thing. So I need to just show my work great, getting off the ball and then in my defence, keep making my tackles, keep getting up, getting high because obviously England's blitz defence. It's very similar to us here at Quinn, so hopefully that'll be good. Yeah, absolutely. Is that is that also the other benefit of this A-team as well, is that if you can prove yourself at this level, I know it's a one-off game, but hopefully there'll be more, then that will stand you in good stead with the main coaches to get into the in the test side as well. Yeah, 100%. I think it's, like you said before, it's like bridging that gap between like the under-20s and um, up, up to the main squad, but kind of following in their footsteps as such. And yeah, I'm sure if you put your mark on this game, then the coaches will, will have, a, have a look at you. Yeah, absolutely. So we're not exactly sure what the Portugal team's going to look like, but we probably know how they're going to play. That Fast and furious. I don't know if, how much you've seen of the Portuguese, obviously at the World Cup, and now recently in the, in the Rugby Europe Championship, but they're... Everyone's favourite second team these days, aren't they? No, yeah, definitely. I saw that try they scored on the weekend where they were chucking it about and then crossfield mm. kicked to finish again. That was some great rugby, and obviously it's, it's how I, I like to play things at Quinns, and I'm sure, but I'm sure it's the same at Saints with Sam Vesti being there. So hopefully we'll see a bit of a, attacking rugby there, which would be nice. Yeah, absolutely. Well, look, Kane, I really appreciate you coming on, and thanks so much for taking the time out to have a chat with us. All the best for the week ahead couple of tries do you reckon on the weekend is that the aim just yeah. work really hard put other people in space you know yeah exactly. selfless work really hard get my hands on the ball and then see what happens from there yeah perfect well for people who may want to go down it's on sunday at welford road um england against portugal um and hopefully a great day and hopefully we can see the revamping of the a team a bit more regularly because it'd be good fun to be involved in yeah definitely Okay, great to hear from Caden Murley there. He's playing in the England A game at the weekend against the Portuguese at Welford Road. So I think there are still tickets available for that. So if you want to go to that, why not? Have a look. Um, But we should finish off our pod with Mark and Elgin 
God or Goddess of the Week time. But before we do that, just an, an honourable mention to the Bath under-18s. Uh, they won the Academy League finals day 34-33 against Northampton Saints. And apparently 73,000 people watched the several games of the live stream uh, on, on the weekend, which is a pretty good effort. It was 33-29 to Saints with two minutes left, but Stefan Emmanuel, the centre, scored in a corner. So... Good win for them. A um, couple of Prem Cup semi-finals as well. Gloucester beat Exeter 17-14. Ealing ran Leicester Tigers close, which would have been a good story if they'd beaten them, but Leicester won 29-21. And that final now is on Friday, March 15th at Kingsholm, which the small matter of the Cheltenham Gold Cup is on on exactly the same day. So that's going to be a busy, busy Friday in, in Gloucester in a couple of weeks. But let's get into God or Goddess. Mark, where are you going for yours this week? I'm going to go with the aforementioned Louis Liner, um, who I think is it's a move that shows you know commendable ambition and intent on both sides from both the player and the, the Italian Federation and Benetton on the other. Um, he could easily have sat there waiting for another call up to to the England squad. Uh, I know he, he's been in there previously under Eddie and didn't and didn't get capped. Obviously eligible for Australia as well. There's always been chat that they might come in. So I think that for him to have thrown in his lot shows that he, you know, he wants to be in there and contributing to something. He's not waiting on a maybe. And from a, a Benetton and Italy point of view, another excellent player to to add to you know the, the burgeoning stocks in the back three. Okay, nice nomination there, Mark Elgin. Where's yours coming from? For mine, I'm delving into Australia and the uh, the Welsh outside half factory that has uh, a, a late member of uh, when we when we thought that that work had, had ceased to function in the in the valleys. Dan Edwards, who kicked the match winning drop goal for Ospreys against Ulster in the not quite the last play, because even though they all dived on him to celebrate, there was still one kick off to receive. <laughs> but the game did end almost immediately after that. It, it means that the Ospreys have won five games in a row, which is a great return for. Like we say, there's been so much negativity around the Welsh regions and finances, etc. So for Toby Booth to have guided them to, to five wins in a row is is a great return for the for the Welsh regional game and for Dan Edwards, the who was the Wales in the twenty fly half last year. There's been a lot of talk about fly halves because we've had two 22 year olds, Sam Costello and Johan Lloyd, playing for Wales, and beneath them there isn't a huge amount of options. So to see an even younger fly half doing quite well for the Ospreys in his first season as a as a senior player is is great to see there you go so i'm going to complete a hat trick of um players who to use a scottish phrase uh, out with um international camps that was they were my two so this is a tangent mark but out with an internationalist and my two like things i picked up working in scotland what's that about internationalist it's just international, isn't I, it? I, I, yeah, I, I don't use internationalist, <laughs> but i think out with is an excellent word it's um, it's quite it, good yeah feels yeah. quite oldy yeah, but it captures a concept which I don't think is easily done in in a single world, a single world in any other way. So big out with fan here. <laughs> so so the third out with player is Zach Mercer, who's not only out with the England squad but out with the A team as well, which seems extraordinary for someone so talented. And we know it's difficult to get all the English players in in one squad, but to miss two seems remarkable. So maybe he should be checking out his eligibility and see where else he can go because there's been a little chatter, Elgin, hasn't there that he could return to the top 14. CV's doing the rounds is the sort of the way it's being phrased, I think, isn't it? Yeah, he, he obviously came back here to to Gloucester to try and force those international ambitions. And when he's asked about it now, he says, you know, he's just going to focus on Gloucester, etc. But you, yeah, you do wonder if he might just think, 
Well, I've come back here for one major reason, and they clearly don't fancy it, so I'll go back yeah. and have some fun in Why France. Not? Who knows? Yeah. Why not? He, he's always and been... he might still be eligible in France from a season or two. Who knows yeah. if they change <laughs> if they change the eligibility yes, rules they do. for England? Who knows? God, that's a topic for another podcast, I think. We have had emails on that. Thank you to the people who did um, email in this week, and keep them coming. The Ruck at the Times uk we'll try and delve back into the mailbag next week after the Calcutta Cup after Ireland Wales and after France Italy which is coming up next weekend but for now thanks to everyone for joining us thank you to Bernard Jackman who we said goodbye to a few minutes before Mark and Elgin who are going to be out and about over Six Nations weekend Mark we're going to be up in Edinburgh so bring on the Iron Brew and every stereotype you've got going thistles and what's about with out with yeah can't wait for the internationalists to perform against each other (laughs) But yeah, for now, that has been The Ruck from The Times and The Sunday Times. Follow, subscribe, email us in, tell us what you think. Don't moan too much, please, because we're going to have to put you into spam. (laughs) But no, thanks for listening and tune in again on Wednesday for a special Calcutta Cup episode, probably out in the evening. So maybe if you get commuting Thursday morning, you'll get it in your pod feed then. But otherwise, we're back next Monday. Small details are big surfaces, tight corners are odd shapes, flat, rounded, textured, or tall. Whatever your next project, there's a spray paint pattern that's just right. Because Rust-Oleum's new Custom Spray 5-in-1 gives you control with five different spray patterns. So you can tackle nooks, crannies, edges, and curves without worrying about drips, runs, uneven coverage, or anything else. Custom Spray 5-in-1. Only from Rustolium. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns.